Thanks, Jackie. Good evening, everyone. My name is Tara. I'm an alcoholic. And um, I will uh, thank you guys for having me. Pej asked me to ask um, asked me to talk here tonight. And so thanks, Pej. Um, and thank you guys for having me. Um, I want to welcome uh, Shireen. Uh, um, uh, congratulations on, on being a miracle here with us tonight. And um, your name is really beautiful. And I'm glad you got to say it a bunch. And I want to welcome Alex, our visitor, and congratulate Remy with nine months and Freddie with five years and Harold with 12 years and Kelly with 16 years. The beauty of Zoom is I take I can take notes. <laughs> now I didn't forget anybody. Um, congratulations um, to you all and, and welcome. Um, I, um, I'm really glad to be here tonight. Um, I want to thank Brian for being my 10 minute um, he's uh, quite impressive. Um, I, um, he really is one of the truest definitions of a miracle that I've met. And I've met a lot. I've met a lot of miracles in Alcoholics Anonymous. I want to thank my friend Kelson for coming tonight and supporting me and being here. And, and that was my segue into like what a true miracle is. And then that is, that is her Kelson. And she picked up a, a year, a couple weeks ago, I think it was. And so I just wanted to tell her publicly how very proud I am of her like when we were when um Harold was reading um that reading about like the moderate alcoholic or the potential alcoholic I was like yeah that's definitely not Kelsey <laughs> she's alcoholic of my variety you know so it's um it's just so good to to be in a meeting with you tonight and so um I'll get started and um I have so much time, <laughs> but I'm going to share in a general way what it was like and what happened and what it's like today. And um, I'll tell you, I have a sobriety date of 1130 of 2001. I have a sponsor and her name is Duffy. And I have a home group, which is in Bellflower, California, Bellflower Big Book Group. And um, I, I am just so grateful for those things. And um I, uh, the truest thing I will tell you tonight is that I love Alcoholics Anonymous. Like truly, I am just, I have a crush on AA. Like I'm just so smitten with this program. And, um, and I hope that I always remain that way. Um, I can tell you for sure that um, it wasn't, it wasn't always that way. <laughs> when I arrived in Alcoholics Anonymous, I was not truly smitten with the program. I was not in love with Alcoholics Anonymous. I was mad about everything in my life. But um, well, I um, will get right into it and tell you that I grew up in um, the beautiful city of Santa Ana, California. And um, for those of you who don't know about Santa Ana, I encourage you never to learn about Santa Ana. And um, I don't even know how Santa Ana made it into Orange County, actually. Santa Ana and Stanton, they like slipped in under the guise of night somehow. I think it was like some deal with LA County. They're like, we got enough going on. Like you got to take Santa Ana and Stanton. So anyhow, that's where I grew up. I grew up in Santa Ana and um, I come from a long line of alcoholics. My dad was alcoholic. His dad was alcoholic and so on. Um, we're Irish Catholic drunk family and um that's what we did we drank and they went to church and had a lot of babies and that's just how the irish catholics do it in my family and um 
I have a older sister who works for the Garden Grove Police Department and a younger brother who right out of high school did a tour of duty in Iraq. Both of them are genius caliber students. Um, they just did everything right. They're just good humans. Like I have three children of my own and if they turned out to be like my siblings, I will consider myself like a successful parent. And I tell you this because we were all raised in the same home with the same parents, with the same upbringing, with the same morals and the same values. and um, and then there's me and I am a nightmarish alcoholic creature. Um, I am what my Al-Anon mother calls exactly what my alcoholic dad deserves. She'd be like, she's exactly what you deserve, right? And I'm just like a carbon copy of him. And, uh, and uh, you know, from very early on, I knew that like there was just something a miss, right? I was just um, chronically ill at ease and maladjusted. And there was always a degree of separation between me and you. And I always thought if I could just be more like that, I know that I would be happy if, if it, it just, I had these really big emotions always, just really big emotions. I never really knew how to manage them. Um, I, I'm a very passionate person. I like to use the term passionate. Most people will use the term crazy, but passionate is so much more palatable, right? Like it's just, it's better for me. I'm just passionate. Kelson will tell you I'm crazy, but <laughs> I'm very passionate. Um, so anyhow, um, I grew up on the street where all the kids my age were boys. I grew up a tomboy and those boys taught me everything a young up and coming female alcoholic needed to know, like how to drink and cuss and fight and stick my thumb through a Budweiser beer can and shotgun a beer and play pool and, um, you know, just important stuff that a young potential alcoholic female needed to know. And, um, and uh, I just, for me, I was alcoholic long before I took that first drink. And at 13 years old, I had the opportunity to drink with those boys on the street and I drank and I got drunk. And I tell you what, I do remember what happened. I, I got drunk and I fell down and I had a blast. And I'll tell you what, at 13 years old, I desperately needed a drink. I'm, I'm like glad they gave me a drink because I was struggling. I really was like, I was struggling and, um, and they gave me that drink and all of a sudden the playing field was level, right? It was just like, I finally felt okay. I finally felt what like perhaps the normal person feels on like any given Wednesday, you know, it was just like, I finally felt okay. And, um, and that is what I would need from that point on until I got sober to feel okay. I would need that drink. I would need that drink. And um, from the first time I got drunk, um, like there was never any moderation. There was never any like desire to control my drinking. There was never, um, my, I never wanted to be buzzed or like slightly intoxicated or like mildly inebriated. Like, I don't like that shit at all. Like, I don't like it. I don't like being buzzed to this day. I feel like irritated talking about buzz, right? Like it makes me like irritated um it's like bad sex you know what I mean it's like if that's all you got I'll take it but like I'm not trying to do that but if that's all you got I guess if I have to I'll do it but I don't want to really you know so um 
I drink for oblivion. I drink for absolute annihilation. Um, I drink to completely um, remove myself from any human uh, emotions, from any feelings, from uh, any human interaction. Um, I have this problem when I drink and it's called my mouth. And you know, you guys know me. <laughs> I'm that girl, my, I like I have a signature move, right? When I drink and um, I like to jump out of the vehicle at an intersection after the bars close at like 3 a.m., right? And it's just the only people out on the road at that time is like me, you guys and the police, that's it, right? That's, that's all that's out there, you know? Just me and you guys and the cops. And um, and so I like to jump out at the intersection and like get into a big giant fight with um, the dude in the car. Generally, it's the dude in the car. And um, I jump out of the car and I like rip the windshield wiper blades off and like break the windshield and kick the door and, you know, just like really classy things in the middle of the intersection. And he's like, get back in the car. And I'm like, back yeah, and, um, and uh He's like, I'm on parole. You're going to get me sent back to prison. I'm like, go then. I'm done with you. Anyhow, I've been talking to your homeboy for three weeks. Bye. You know, um, and so that's um, that's an accurate picture of the drunk nightmare that I am. The book describes it perfectly. Like I'm just a very unlovely creature when drinking and my normal disposition resembles that like not at all, like not at all. I don't look anything like this um, when I'm drinking. I um, by the time I was 15, <coughs> excuse me, I had a fake ID and my name was Lisa Simpson. <laughs> and uh, that was like the golden ticket, like in Bill's story, right? Where he talks about like, this was it. This was life at last, right? This is it. That's what that fake ID, that's what Lisa Simpson did for me <laughs> at 15 years old. <coughs> it was, um, it was like that movie Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when he's like skipping down the street. He's like, I got a golden ticket. That's exactly how I felt, right? Like I, that was the answer to my problems, right? And so I started going to bars and clubs and night and, you know, and the night, like, right, I had arrived. Exactly. This was life at last. And, um, and uh, I found a, a group of people in Orange County and, um, on the west side of Costa Mesa who drank like me and hated like me and fought like me and looked like me and looked like Kelson and <laughs> and um we found I found this little scene you know and I made a name for myself in that scene this little punk rock scene in Orange County and um everybody knew that Tara was that girl that was going to get drunk get in a fight um uh, like assault um people you know um you know, you might have to take a look at your drinking when like you're not even 18 years old and you're going to the diviest dive bar in Costa Mesa. It's just, it was this like fabulous little establishment. The name of it was Club Mesa. And it was just the grimiest, grossest, most disgusting dive bar in Costa Mesa. And I knew the bouncer and his name was Paul, Paul Taylor. And, um, and uh, he would give me a pep talk upon arrival, right? Like I'd already be drunk before I got to the bar because we called that pre-gaming. And, um, and if I'm being really honest, I just wasn't going to spend my narcotic money on alcohol at the bar. Like I had a budget, you know what I mean? Like I was, I was a sensible alcoholic. And so 
I'd arrive at the bar and Paul would be like, Tara, like, please, like, can you just wait until the headlining band plays? Like, I don't want to drag you out in a headlock again tonight. Like, can you just mean, can you just like chill out? You know, like I had zero chill and um, sure enough, by the end of the night, um, I'm that girl who's like with some random dude and I'm like, you got something to say to me, you're going to say it to him. And the whole bar wants to beat you up. Paul's dragging me out in a headlock. I get home to my boyfriend who was not that guy at the bar was like, it might be road rash. It, it could be carpet burn. I don't know exactly what happened, but I'm certain that my boyfriend did that to me. And he's like, Tara, he's like, you fell off a bar stool. That's what happened to you. Like, you're a nightmare. You're a nightmare. Nobody wants to go out with you. Nobody wants to come by. I, I don't even know why he's there. Like, he, sh he shouldn't even be there. Um, and that's, that's when it was still working, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> that's when it was still good for me, right? When I was going out to bars, that stopped, okay? Uh, my disease progressed very rapidly. I can tell you that there was never a substance presented to me where I was like, oh no, I just don't think I could. I was like, yes, of course, of course I want that. You know, of course I wanna do that. And there was never that precautionary measure that perhaps a normal person displays in those instances where they're like, what is it? You know, because I didn't care. Whatever, whatever you got, I want it. You know, and um, I did copious amounts of of narcotics. And uh, like I told you, I love Alcoholics Anonymous, and and I I will I have a singleness of purpose. And um, and the thing is, is um, had I known that I'd be speaking from a, a Zoom meeting in Alcoholics Anonymous 30 years after that first marijuana cigarette was handed to me, I would have politely declined, right? Like I would have been like, no, 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 I cannot partake in that marijuana cigarette because I'm going to be speaking from a Zoom AA meeting during a pandemic in 2021. No, thank you. But like, I could not foresee that, right? Like I didn't know. So of course I did that. And so in any case, it just progressed really rapidly for me. And, um, and, uh, you know, the book, the book, again, like says, like potential alcoholics are gone beyond recall very quickly. It was very quickly for me. And by the time I was 18, I was physically addicted to alcohol. I could not stop. I came to this place where the strongest desire to stop was of absolutely no avail. I ended up, uh, well, I'll just tell you, I ended up, um, I'm, a, I'm a drug dealer and a prostitute by trade is what happened for me. I ended up on the streets. I ended up uh, committing uh, crime. I love stealing. Um, I'll do anything for my um, the next drink. My mom would have to carry her purse from room to room because I'm such a thief. Um, and um, like I, I just I like to steal so much. And if like if it's too big, I'll just lay down next to it and like tell you it's mine. Like I'm such a creep. And um, and I ended up uh, just absolutely devastating the lives of anybody who cared about me, just breaking the hearts of my family and my friends and, and my loved ones, anybody um, who cared about me at all. I just devastated them, just absolutely devastated them. I robbed my parents, um, not only of their possessions, but I robbed them of countless nights sleep. I robbed them of, of peace uh, and joy. Um, they, I mean, even they couldn't even, my, they had two other kids that were just like killing it at life. You know what I mean? And, um, and I just, uh, 
stole their hopes and dreams for their little baby girl, right? Like their youngest daughter. They had so many um, hopes and dreams and aspirations for their youngest baby girl. And I'll tell you this quick story since I have so much time. Um, I remember driving down the street one day in Anaheim and I saw this young man at the bus stop and uh, he had um, what we refer to, I don't know what the correct term is, but he on, he had on like a wife beater and Doc Martens and his jeans were cuffed up and he had a shaved head and all these tattoos and this girl was with him and they were passing a cigarette back and forth and she had like tattoos on her face. And, um, and I just was like, God, that's me, you know, that is absolutely me. And I remember thinking like at some point, a loving mother held that little baby boy in her arms, right? And had so many hopes and so many dreams and so many aspirations for that young man. And I know unequivocally what was going on at that bus stop in Anaheim was not one of them. It was not one of them. She did not think, God, one day I hope this is happening for him, you know? And so uh, as a mother now, like, um, I just know that that, that um, devastated uh, my parents, you know, watching me literally kill myself, literally kill myself. Um, I, um, alcohol got me down. Like I'm a real, I'm, t I'm six feet tall. And um, when I got sober, I was like 115 pounds. I'm like 155 now, 150. And uh, I was like completely emaciated. Like you could have poured a bowl of cereal into my clavicle and like eaten it like it was so gross um I looked I had a shaved head um because I just wanted my outsides to match my insides I just it was so painful if anybody was like oh you're so pretty it was just disgusting I hated it I hated hearing it um I hated myself um I, like I said I had a shaved head I was like 150 I literally looked like um like I was in I had um escaped from Auschwitz like I looked like I was literally dying and um and my parents witnessed that right and um and I remember like you know the the police kicked in their door um Orange County Sheriff kicked in their door twi twice <laughs> looking for their little alcoholic daughter um my they were woken up by loaded firearms to their head um, because they were looking for me and, uh, and I just devastated them and I devastated myself. And, um, I remember praying in my sleep, um, not in my sleep. I don't pray in my sleep. That, that would be kind of weird, but I remember, um, praying God, please just kill me in my sleep so that I don't have to wake up and live another single solitary day like this. And, um, uh, you know, alcohol had become that rapacious creditor that just robbed me of everything. It just took from me anything good, anything healthy, anything wholesome, anything happy that just took that from me. There was nothing like that in my life towards the end. And the insanity of this disease is I would say that prayer, God, please just kill me. And the insanity of the disease is when I was in an alley parked up along a block wall with two guys that I had robbed last week at gunpoint who were going to get what I owed them this week. I'd pray, God, please just get me through this one. Please just get me through this one, you know? And, um, and, um, I had just, um, it was either, it was in the end, it was just either me victimizing you or you victimizing me. And that was the, that was, that was what it was like day in and day out. And, you know, I, I wasn't the type of alcoholic who, you know, I, I had lost the power to choose whether I was going to drink or not. I had, had no defense, no defense against that first drink. It was not like I would wake up and be like, 
gee, I wonder what I'm going to do today. You know what I mean? I would wake up and that obsession to drink would be on me. There wasn't no contemplating, hey, maybe I should try and not drink today. There was none of that. There was no like, I'll try and not, for me, there was no like, oh, I'll try and not do it today. I knew I was, I knew I was drinking that day. I had to drink. I had to drink. And, um, and, uh, and that's the, that's the nature of my disease. And what happened for me is um, by that time, my dad had joined Alcoholics Anonymous um, but his alcoholism looked so much different than mine that I could not, um, I could not make that connection, right? I could not relate. And, um, and that's why I think it's so important in meetings is that, that, um, identification, right? And I spent some time on that. And the reason is for the identification. Like it wasn't until a man, my dad's best friend, Jeff H, he, um, his alcoholism looked like mine and he, um, had a message um, with depth and weight, right? He was able to connect with me and I knew that he was a man who suffered from the disease of alcoholism in the same fashion that I had. And he was a man who had recovered from the disease of alcoholism. And so I was able to believe him, right? I was able to believe him when he told me, hey, this is what you should do. So I the first time I tried to get sober, I was 21 years old and I went into Casa del Cerro treatment center down in South County. And, uh, like I said, I'm from Santa Ana. And then I landed in South Orange County and that was like a huge culture shock for me. Like, I don't even think I had ever been in South Orange County. I love that cat. I want to pet that cat so much. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, anyhow, there I was. South County detoxing. I didn't sleep for 30 days. Um, I was violently ill. <clears throat> um, I, um, I was just so devastated, you know, so devastated. And um, the H&I panels came in to Casa del Cerro Treatment Center and I would hear them and they'd talk about getting a, a sponsor, working the 12 steps, you know, acquiring a power greater than myself, helping the still suffering alcoholic. And I thought like, wow, this program's really great for, you know, somebody like Kelson who really needs it. <laughs> but like, what's it going to take for me? You know what I mean? Like, what's it going to take for Tara? I don't have to do all that. You know, I, I thought I was going to outsmart you guys. I was going to be successful where you people had failed, like where you weak people had failed. I was going to assert my power of will and show you that like, you didn't need to do all that, you know? And, um, and uh, what, what truly, what it truly was in hindsight is that I just, so I tried in vain to drink without the consequences. I desperately wanted that relief that comes from that first drink, right? I wanted that relief from my head, from my heart, from my gut, from my, this record, this broken record in my mind that plays all day, every day about you're just, you know, you're just a, um, you're just a piece of shit, Tara. Like, and you're not going to get, you're, you're not worthy. You're not this, you're not this enough. You're not that enough. You're, you know, like the, just the constant battle of that alcoholic brain is I just wanted relief from that. And, um, 
And the truth of the matter is, is I was going to get that relief via chemical means, or I was going to get it via spiritual means in this program. And I could not sit still in Alcoholics Anonymous long enough to get those that relief spiritually. So I'd go back out, go back out, go back out. So first time I was 21, I didn't obtain permanent sobriety until I was 25. And it was four years of in and out, 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 in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I had had some, you know, I, I, like I said, there, I, I, I've been violated and victimized in every conceivable fashion out there on the streets of Santa Ana. But those four years of coming in and out of this program was by far the most painful times of my life just absolutely agonizing because with every failed attempt it just reconfirmed me what I already knew which was you really are just a piece of shit Tara you're not going to get sober in Alcoholics Anonymous you're past the point of redemption you're past the point of God's love I thought that like 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 you had to be a fundamentally good person to get sober here and like I knew where I fell on the spectrum of good and bad like I knew I was bad right like there had to be bad people like what would the cops do all day if there wasn't like um and I like Brian talked about it, like I had just resigned myself to the idea that I was going to die cold and alone in an alley in Santa Ana. I had I had accepted my lot in life as, as, a, as an alcoholic. And um, and I love in Bill's story, right, where he talks about, um, you know, they told my wife that she would have to turn me over to the undertaker. And his next sentence, his next sentence has always just hit me so hard. He said, I knew it. And I welcomed the idea, right? I knew it. I knew I was going to die. I knew it. And I welcomed it. I became a very dangerous person, not because I'm like some gunslinger, but because my idea was like, what are you going to do to me that hasn't already been done? Right. Or like, what are you going to do? Kill me? Like, that's what I want. You know, that's what I want. And so um, I just became a very dangerous, desperate human being out there. And, um, but the thing is, is that I met people in this program and um, specifically this woman Paula and Paula would um, call me at my parents house even when I was drunk it didn't matter to her because Paula saw something in me worth saving when I could not see that in myself Paula would call me at my parents house and she would say Tara when are you coming home and I so desperately wanted to run back to AA because I'll tell you what I couldn't stop for anything I could not stop I could not stop I was drinking and I was drinking and I was dying and I was drinking and I was dying and I couldn't stop but I knew that I wanted to get back to Alcoholics Anonymous. I knew that this is where I felt love. I knew that this is where you people were kind to me. I knew that this is where I was accepted. I knew that this is where like I was understood and loved and, and, and valued. Like this was it, but I couldn't stop. I could not stay amongst you people because I would not do the work required to stay here, right? And if you're new uh, or, or relatively new, I'm here to tell you, there's work to stay here. And in the book, it says, we have a solution, right? We have one. We in Alcoholics Anonymous, we have a solution. And the very next line says, but not one of you are going to like it. Not one of you are going to like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of our shortcomings. We got a solution, all right, but you ain't going to like it. And I didn't like it, right? I didn't like it one bit. So through a series of just like incredibly painful relapses. Um, I was just beaten, beaten down, just beaten down. Alcohol was my master. Alcohol had um, just thoroughly annihilated my life. And um, on Thanksgiving day of, of 2001, I called another member of Alcoholics Anonymous up who came and picked me up literally on the curb in Santa Ana mm. because I frequent the curb. 
I like to hang out on the curb for some reason. I don't wear shoes very often. Oh, and then I was reminded by my, my cousin reminded me recently that I literally lived in a an I, ivy sheet for like a year. It was just like a, I would wrap it around and I was just in a sheet. I lived in a sheet for like a year. That's a true story. Like, I promise you that's a true story. An ivy sheet. I would go, um, I didn't leave the house much, but I would um, go and... Um, my alcohol was delivered to my house. And so I would just meet the delivery person in my sheet. That's it. I don't know. I lived in a sheet. That's the truth. And um, it's a weird thing, huh? Anyhow, he came and picked me up literally on the curb. And um, I, I don't know why. I do know why I frequented the curb. It's because, like I said, I'm six feet tall. I like to wear stiletto heels also. So I'm like six, six or six, five. And that's a big fall. Like I'm getting hurt if I fall at six, six, you know what I mean? Especially like a drunken Terra Fox. I'm not, I'm not graceful sober. So like drunk, it's even worse, right? Like I look like a, I kind of, it's like, remember when Bambi was trying to walk on the ice? Like, that's what it's like. Or like a giraffe with palsy or something. That's kind of what I resemble. And um, so if I'm on the curb, it's just like a tiny little fall and like a six inch flop into the gutter. It's for safety reasons, actually. It's like OSHA stuff. Anyhow, picked me up on the curb and he was like, I'm going to take you to detox, but like, you don't have any alcohol on you because I'm on parole, Tara. Cause that's what I call. Cause I love parolees. I just love them. I just, I, I, I just wait outside the parole department. It's like hometown buffet, right? Like I just love those guys. You know, I'll tell you why. Cause it's like a revolving door. It's like, just when I'm done with this one, like the next one's getting out and then the next one's getting out. It's like, it was such a good little method. I met Brian when he was incarcerated, by the way, I was like, yep. I like you. I don't need to be married anymore. I like you. Um, so he's like, you don't have any alcohol on you. Right. And I was like, uh, I was like uh, offended that he would accuse a woman of such high moral fabric. Right. Like, how dare you? Like, of course I don't have alcohol. I'm going to detox. Like who brings alcohol into detox? Me too. Me too. So do I. I'm a scumbag. Not saying you are, Jackie. I'm not saying that about you. I'm saying that about me. I'm a scumbag. But the truth of the matter is, is that I can't stop, you know? And so on my way to detox, I was like, God, with alcohol on my person, I'm like, God, if you help me just this very last time, I promise that I will tell other people what you've done for me. And I went into detox and I drank because I had to. I went into detox and I drank. The last time I drank was at Stanton Detox in the bathroom because that's the type of alcoholic that I am. And uh, I went to a, a treatment center and it was a 90 day treatment center in the city of Fullerton. And um, I got a sponsor and, and I was broken and I was battered and I was desperate and I was beaten. I was hopeless. And uh, thank God, thank God that I was given that gift of desperation because from that came willingness and from that willingness came action and from that action came permanent recovery. And I can tell you that the very first time that I worked the 12 steps in order with a sponsor that had a working knowledge of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I've been sober ever since. And so it could be some like freakish coincidence, like, oh my God, that's so weird. Like you work the 12 steps in a 12 step recovery program and you stay sober, like whoa, like that was so trippy to me. Like that bit of information literally escaped me for like a, a decade, I think. I don't know. It was a long time. And um, 
I got the sponsor and her name was Lily. And what Lily brought to that treatment center was hope. And Lily told me, Tara, it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, who you've hurt, how many times you've tried, you can recover in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I looked down at her and I was like, look, uh, <laughs> Lil, uh, unless God comes down from the heavens above and plucks the desire to drink out of me, literally reaches inside of me and removes that obsession to drink, this isn't going to work for somebody like me. And I felt like I needed to disclose that to her because I knew I was going to disappoint her the way that I had disappointed every single person who cared about me in my past. And that sweet woman looked up at me and told me, Tara, that's precisely what's going to happen. And I was like, oh my God, I hate it here. <laughs> I can't stand you people. <laughs> and um, I'm here to tell you that that is exactly what happened. That is precisely what happened. Somewhere along the lines of working the 12 steps, I was put in touch with a power greater than myself. It relieved me from my alcoholic obsession. Somewhere along the lines, um, I, was, uh, I acquired a, a a personality change, a psychic change sufficient to bring about recovery. And Brian talked about that, right? That change in outlook and perspectives and, and that moral psychology, right? That moral psychology. And um, where, whereas like I had so many different street, um, like hood, like rules that I adhered to for so long, right? And these guiding forces, like just huge transformations started to take place. Now I'm going to tell you right now, and anybody that knows me can attest to the fact that I didn't come to AA and become a super virtuous type of gal overnight, right? Like I was, I was feral when I got here. Like you literally should have clipped my ear to like warn the good people of AA, like do not, don't even mess with that one. You know what I mean? Just let her come and get some food like the feral cats and just leave them alone. Right. And, um, I went to this treatment center and, um, and, uh, like I just, the program director who I ended up marrying and having three kids with <laughs> weird story. That's another time. But, um, he was like, Tara, like nobody likes you here. Nobody, you, they can't, you don't, nobody likes you. Like we're going to assign you a friend, right? Like you can't take naps. Everybody else could take naps. Not Tara. Tara doesn't get to take naps. He's like, you are a bitch. Nobody likes you. You wake up like a bitch. You're a bitch all day long. Nobody likes you. We're assigning you a friend. And I was like, look, bro, like I'll do your prayers. I'm working with Lily. I'll work the steps, but like, I'm not trying to have, I'm, I don't want to be friends with anybody here. You know what I mean? And, um, and he assigned me a friend and, um, and that person's my friend today. And we both stayed sober remarkably because he had done like nine years in Pelican Bay. I don't even know how, anyhow, it worked, it worked. And um, I'll tell you that I started working the steps and I did this inventory process and, and it was by far the most liberating thing that I have ever done in my life, my very first inventory. And I shared that with this woman named Paula, the one who would call me at my parents' house and she, uh, I read that to her and she was like, Tara, have you omitted anything? And I was like, again, like, how dare you? Of course I did not. Of course I did, you know? And, um, and there was that one thing that like, I was just so uh, um, ashamed of like, and um, like, I don't even want to tell Paula, you know, because what if it gets out? What if I go back to the county jail and those chicks in there know that about me? You know what I mean? And, um, and I, I told Paula that day, I, and Paula said, um, oh, Tara, I did that too. And I was like, 
ew, like you sick bitch, you can't sponsor me. Like, how are you going to sponsor me? That's disgusting. You should leave my sober living. Like, I don't even know why I'm associating with you. And, um, but what really truly happened that day is that I began to trust another woman in Alcoholics Anonymous. What really truly happened that day is I understood that I never, ever, ever again had to be that woman written down on those pages. And frankly, I never wanted to be to begin with, right? The alcohol was dictating that woman on those pages. I didn't want, I didn't want to do those things. Like that wasn't even in my nature to do. Um, but the alcohol dictated my every single move. And, and, um, and, uh, the slate was clean and I never again had to be her. And that was an amazing level of freedom for me. And um, I continued on with the steps and I made the amends to my parents and my dad was a long time sober by that time. My mom was a long time in Al-Anon by that time. And I sat him down, I did what my sponsor told me to do. And I, I, I made my amends to those people. And my dad was like, oh honey, we just want you to be sober. And my mom was like in Al-Anon, you know what I mean? So she had like an itemized invoice of everything I had ever done since birth and um she's like did you break that lamp in 86 i'm like mom if it was broken or otherwise defaced it wasn't the two reading encyclopedias in their spare time it was me right like it, even if it wasn't me just add it to the list of stuff and um and so i tell you that because um i joined h and i at one year sober and um and that has been um just the absolute bright spot of my sobriety. Um, I'm currently the director of Orange County H&I and, um, and, you know, I started going into jails and institutions and hospitals and psych units and um, detoxes with my father. And we brought in a message of a family who had recovered from alcoholism, a mother, I'm sorry, a father and a daughter who had recovered from alcoholism. And, uh, and really, we all know it's because of my mom, the Al-Anon, that we're sober, right? Like, got to give credit where credit's due. But in any case, um, we would drive four hours with this gentleman by the name of Plumber Jim. And Plumber Jim was fluent in Spanish. And I'm fluent in Spanish because, you know, I sell drugs in Santa Ana. So you got to speak Spanish. Anyhow, Plumber Jim would tell jokes for four hours in English and Spanish, English and Spanish jokes four hours to Delano State Prison to do an hour panel to drive back with Plumber Jim jokes for four more hours with me, Plumber Jim, and my dad. And at the time, I was like, yeah, what a, like, God, this is okay. This is what my life is. But I'm here to tell you, if you want to sum up service in Alcoholics Anonymous in four words, this is it. You ready? Get in the car. Get in the car that's it. I did it. It is four. I had to count. Um, and that's it. Get in the car. We're going, right. We're going here. We're going to jails. We're going to detox. We're going to carry the message. We're doing these things. And, um, somebody told me early on, if you're bored in Alcoholics Anonymous, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. Right. Like I am, I have never been bored in alcohol, not saying that I do Alcoholics Anonymous, right. But I stay busy. I stay busy in the work. And, um, um, and, and and my life is a direct byproduct of that. Like I have this beautiful, amazing, full, wonderful life. I have three beautiful, wonderful children who have never seen me drunk or loaded, right? I have this, um, my children come to me and, and talk to me about the things that they're going to and I'm able to be present for them. I'm able to be the mom. And that was one of my fears when I got here. I wrote it on my fear inventory that I was never gonna have children. Like I thought that I had damaged my body to the point that I, I, I couldn't. And my friend Cassandra told me, Tara, if God wants you to have babies, you're gonna have babies. 
apparently God wanted me to have several <laughs> and, um, and they're, you know, the bright spot of my life, you know, um, I have an amazing career. Um, I have a host of friends. I love the um, page 152 of the book where it talks about what you'll find here in Alcoholics Anonymous and it asks, right? It's the newcomer asking, have you a sufficient substitute? And 152 tells us, yep, we sure do. We have a sufficient substitute, thank you. And it's vastly more than that. It's vastly more than that. Here you'll find release from care, boredom and worry and your life will mean something at last. And, and, and the most satisfactory years of your life lie ahead. We're going to commence shoulder to shoulder on this common journey. And that was like, like just that sense of belonging, right? Because I never fit. I never fit. And I found my purpose here in AA, right? I was never really good at anything, you know, like truly I wasn't. I was just like eh, average at all things. Like I really wanted to be like a great artist or like I wanted to play the flute or like I wanted to do high jump, you know, like I wanted to be a good athlete or a musician or something really good. Like I wanted a cool gift, right? And I, I was like, yeah, I just don't have one. Like I thought everyone had spiritual gifts, you know? I mean, I had some gifts, but definitely not spiritual. And um, I found what it was, right? I found what it was. You people showed me what it was. And I have like an endless ability to love. That's my gift, right? I can love infinitely. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. I mean, it'd, it'd be rad to play the flute, but I guess like endless ability to love is great too, right? But um, <laughs> uh, you guys gave that to me and, and I'm going to end with uh, this. My, my father um, in September, it'll be seven years since he passed. He got sick with cancer and um, and I would go there every day and, and he was, um, you know, just eating them up and I would go on my lunch and I would see my dad and I would talk to my dad and we were just so faithful. And I knew that he was going to recover. I like, I almost felt like God owed it to us. Like all the work we had done, all the people we had reached all the, you know, the, the man that he was like, I'm just okay. Like he was something special, really, truly he was. And, um, and, uh, he passed away, you know, he didn't recover and, um, and I was there that day because you people taught me how to act better than I feel. You people taught me how to train my feet and show up even when I don't want to. And every day I'd try and come up with, Tara, don't go over there. It's just too painful. And I was there with that man every day. I was there when he took his last breath. And the beauty of Alcoholics Anonymous is that there was nothing left unsaid. There was nothing like, God, I wish I could have been that. Or I wish I would have done this. Or I wish it would have been different with him. There was nothing. We were square we were square. It was good. We were best friends. That man had a restraining order on me, right? He had to protect himself from my disease. And, um, and if, if it wasn't for this program and, and a loving, merciful God, um, and find people like you like that, I, I would have missed that all, you know, and I would not trade my life today. I would not trade my life today for that first drink, but I know absolutely without a shadow of a doubt, I'll offer it all up on a platter for that second one. I will take a flamethrower to my life for that next one, for that next one, and that next one, and that next one. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to end again with the fact that, like, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. Like, sometimes um, I just, I, I, I just want you to remember, like, it, like, especially if you're new, like, I can get into my, I can get into self-pity, and I, I, I can start thinking about, like, all the, all the, like, multitude of ways that I've messed up my life, but I want you to recall tonight, that there's at least one person out there 
before um, they go to bed tonight and their very last thought is gonna be about you and how much they love you, how much they believe in you, how much they want you to be the, the man, the woman, the niece, the nephew, the daughter, the mom that they know you can be, the woman I know you can be, right? Because it's, ha it's happened, it's happened for me. And now in this, my, my dad told me at nine months sober, I called him up, I'm like, you know, what's this miracle of AA? They're all talking about Tara, don't leave before the miracle happens. Don't leave before the miracle happens. I was like nine months sober. I was not experiencing any miracles at nine months. I mean, I was, but I could not recognize them. Nine months over. What's the miracle, dad? You know, and he goes, um, you know, the miracle is, is that you've been afforded a couple days in a row in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous to witness the miracle happen in the lives of others. And I was like, that's horseshit. Like, I don't care. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you tonight that that's the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous is that I've been afforded a couple days in a row to watch the miracle happen in the lives of others. And I want to thank you for that. And thank you for having me tonight.